Very good. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I think there was a bit of a problem with what we saw in that, um, in that video clip, like Darth Vader and R2-D2. <laughs> it's like not right. Um, last week what I said is that I had a, a, a two-part message to preach, but the issue is I hadn't cleared it with the uh, senior pastor. But this is what happens when two pastors don't agree, you see. One ends up in hospital. It's not quite true, of course. Uh, we have been looking through the book of Ephesians. I don't know about you guys, but my prayer is that, that it has changed you. It has changed what it is that you believe about yourself, what it is that you believe about your relationship with Jesus. Uh, I really do be- uh, hope and pray that it has changed you. Last week's message we, we read from uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, I happen to want my clicker. Um, if, could I have the... Uh, last week we read from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 24. Um, talking about the spiritual armour, the spiritual warfare, but the emphasis last week was on verses 10 to 13. So besides a recap of um, the message from last week, we'll be working through verses 14 to 18 today. Thank you, Mark. Verses 14 to 18. With a particular focus on the armour, on the weaponry that the saints have in their spiritual battle set before each one of us. Well, one thing that I really had a problem with when I went to church in in other places, especially in Mackay, I guess, is where we spend a lot of time. One of the things that I had a problem with was that oftentimes after the preacher had poured his heart out with his message, um, I'd go to them after the church and say, what about that message? How how did that apply to you? Like, what impact did it have? And it's kind of like, I don't don't know, I didn't get it. You know, I guess I was probably thinking about the Broncos game more than anything else. And it used to bother me that after church, instead of talking about spiritual things, what often happened is that we would find certain groups of men who would be standing around talking about carnal things like football, things that really have no impact on our eternity, no impact on our relationship with Jesus or anything. Um, What we do read in Ephesians 4 is that the gathering of the body of Christ, where, where is, this is where spiritual men and spiritual women come together by the Spirit of Christ to build each other up in the spiritual gifts that God has given us and to equip each other for the works of service that God has preordained for us to do. Now, having said that I actually don't like football talk in church, I'm going to use a football analogy today. What we footy fans notice is that we who belong to a particular code or, a, or even if it's a particular organisation, for any length of time, we notice that there's always change of rules. There's always a constant rule change that happens. And I've noticed this more and more of recent years and if you've been watching the Magic Round or whatever it's called, I think that's what it's called, um, there have been some pretty big rules which have been really confusing some of the players and the commentators and everybody else who's been watching the game. 
through external pressure on the game of rugby league and perhaps even any other organisation. We see this through general organisations. Through external pressure, there's this desire to change rules to clean up the image of the organisation or the game or what it is. So in football, we've got crusher tackle rules, flop rules, six again rules, two reps, back to one rep, grapple tackles and so forth and so on. And all these rules... What they eventually do is that they can cause confusion and oftentimes what confusion does is it causes division. This is what rule changing often does. And guess what? We, we Christians, we live in the world. There is someone in this world who is constantly changing the rules. Now some of us are aware of him but you know what? There are many of us who even call ourselves Christians who are not aware of the one who is out there changing rules that he might cause division and and, um, confusion. He is the enemy of the church and yet there are many in the church who are not aware of the way that he goes about changing rules or how he plays the game. He is, as we read about last week, he is the ruler of and the power of this evil darkness in the spiritual realm, in this present evil age. That's who he is. He is the author of confusion and division. And he has many, many who take his works out into the world. And that's the way he loves it. He is the rule changer and he loves to change the rules so that we can become confused. And I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Word of God this morning, we pray that you are speaking to our hearts, that you really are teaching directly to our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be the same as what we were when we came into this place. Lord, we pray that you transform us by the hearing of your Holy Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Ephesians chapter 6, 14 to 18, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, we're just going to read it together. It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So last week we spoke about the fact that this is a struggle, it's a war that we are entering entering into the moment that we believe and it's not a material war, it's not of material origin, it's not of human nature, it's spiritual and it comes via Satan and his minions and they know his ways very, very well. This war is either waged directly to us or at us or through its influence in the world which comes upon us, or through people who are subject to him. That then impacts on us. 
and he's constantly changing rules, as we've just heard, changing his plan of attack. What we must know is that God gives us armour, spiritual armour in which to face this battle. A battle in which we can stand against, stand firm, stand, stand our ground. We learn of this spiritual armour, of course, in the Word of God, in the spiritual Word of God. One of the things that we realise when we read through that passage, there's nothing in there about retreat. There is nothing in there about stepping back out of the battle. As Christians, this is our place. This is where we stand. There's no defeat in this battle. Christ has already won the victory. We have to really believe that. And it's in the victory of Christ that we stand. So then... What is the evil, what is it that the devil desires for us who stand in Christ? What is his desired outcome of this spiritual offensive campaign that he brings? Again, he wants to confuse and he wants to confound with his new tactics. And I think there are seven ways that the devil does this work. Satan wants to distract us. And he's very good at it. And some of the things he uses are actually good things. Things like family. I mean, it's great to be devoted to your family. I wish that more of us were devoted to those that we love, our our families. But sometimes what can happen is that good thing can take the position that Christ deserves, that priority position. Satan wants to discourage us. Some of the things he use again, uh, sorry, he will, he will use whatever means possible he can to do that. Sins from our past that keep revisiting our thinking, those sins that Jesus already has forgiven us of. When we've poured ourselves into something good for the Lord, only to have people come and say, you know what, you didn't do a very good job of that. He wants to discourage us. Satan wants to sow discontent in us. He wants us to think that we're not doing enough or that we're not doing a good enough job, that we're not in the right place. You should be somewhere else. Or we're not being recognised or appreciated for the things that we're doing. Or we're not being loved and accepted enough. So what happens is that when we find ourselves in that place of discontent, we go seeking and searching and most of the times we end up looking in the wrong places. Satan wants to divide us. Now this is a big deal one for us as Christians. Division. The call of Christ in our lives is unity, one with another, oneness. One of the most important painful and devastating things that can ever happen to people is divided relationships. And we know that. I'm sure that each one of us has experienced that. Husbands and wives, parents and children, even extended families. When families break down, when husband-wife relationships break down, there is tremendous pain. But it's even just as bad when the division happens within churches. When individuals let the devil grab a foothold in our lives 
that then start to set divisions amongst people in the church and what can ultimately happen is church splits. And the question I have is if we know God, if we believe in Christ, how can these things happen? Satan wants us to doubt. He wants nothing more than to cause us to doubt the authenticity, the reality of the word of God. And if he can do that, he can cause us to waver. He can cause us not to trust the providence of God, the protection of God and the power of God and even the faith that we believe that God is good. Satan wants to deceive us. Jesus said the devil is the father of lies and he has been a liar from the beginning. That's who he is. Usually this deception comes through the form of of false doctrine, people who preach a half message or a half truth, false teaching, a little lie mixed in with the truth causing faulty interpretation and in turn faulty interpretation causes faulty application. And finally Satan wants to destroy us. He would so love us to fall away from the faith This is the seventh work of the devil that I'm talking about this morning. And interestingly, when we have a look at the armour of God, there are seven parts of the armour of God that we'll look at shortly. If the devil can get into our lives in any way, in any of those above situations, he can destroy us. He can destroy our relationships, he can destroy our trust, he can destroy our ministries and he can destroy our witness. He can destroy our joy and our victory and our freedom. Now, one thing's for sure is that we don't win this war by an unhealthy focus on the devil, an unbalanced focus on our enemy. We need to know him. It is true. We do need to know him. First of all, that he is real. The devil is real. Just as Jesus is real, so too is the devil. But unfortunately, there are some Christian people who deny this truth. And secondly, so that we can know his plan of attack, so that we can recognise his plan of attack for what it really is. If we have a look in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it says, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. That's why we look at the armour of God. That's why we know that we we get into the, the word of God so that we are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. The focus for us, the healthy focus for us, needs to be on Christ. The more we know Christ, the more we listen to Jesus' word, the more readily we will recognise those things that are not of him. And I think that's really why it's important. We need to know Jesus and his word and the way he speaks so that when things are said to us that are not of him, we can recognise them. Jesus knows exactly what weapons and exactly what armour that we need to stand in this spiritual battle. But of course the devil is constantly changing the rules of engagement. 
thing about though is that the scripture tells us there's nothing new under the sun. The devil is a great recycler. He will recycle things that have worked in the past that may not have worked in recent decades and he'll drag them up again and he'll use them again. He knows us, he knows the world and he knows the things that work. The devil has seen the cycle of human history and he knows where we're at and he knows what tools to use in his scheming. But this is what's important for us, that God's rules of engagement never change. No matter what it is that the devil throws at us, God's rules are constant. He is not the author of confusion, that is the devil. We don't know, we, we don't have to be confused about how we will fight, how we will resist the devil in his ever changing rules because God is constant. So let's take a look this morning at the consistency of God through the armour of God. First we'll look at the belt of truth. Truth. So the question is, what is truth? A definition of truth is a manifestation or the clear showing of a hidden reality. Now we had Elevate last, on Friday night just passed, <coughs> we actually studied what truth is. <coughs> Excuse me. And by all accounts it seemed to be a pretty awesome thing. Truth is to affect us. That's what it's to do. It's to impact us and it's to change us. Truth is to transform us by the renewing of our minds. But we have, what we have to understand is that when the Bible talks about truth, particularly in the letter to the Ephesians, it is inseparable from the gospel. It is inseparable from the gospel. If we have a look at Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 2 to 6, talks about the hidden reality, the mystery. Summing up in verse 6, it says, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Jesus Christ. The truth for us is the gospel. What God has done, what he's believed and who we are in him. We no longer have to be concerned about who we are. We don't have to worry about our our identity. Our identity is in Christ. We don't have to worry about what we are, who we are or where we're going. Those troubles, those questions are the troubles and the questions of the people out there in the world. They're the ones that ask that. We don't need to ask that. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, if we feast on the word, if we immerse ourselves in the word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is found in the word of God. The truth is the word of God, the word of Christ and we are his. 
But the thing is, truth is more than what we just believe. Truth is only truth when it is lived out. We manifest in our bodies the hidden reality of what it is that we believe. What we see is that every other part of the spiritual armour that we're going to go through this morning is born out of truth. This is the reason why it is the first part on this list. It's the first part of the spiritual armour. Breastplate of righteousness. The definition of righteousness or right living means conforming to a standard. The world has its standard and all those who conform to the standard of the world according to those people who conform to that standard, that is righteousness. You are doing right. But Isaiah tells us that the righteousness of the world is not much more than dirty rags. For the Christian, when we believe in the truth, we have God's righteousness deposited in us. We call that righteousness imputed righteousness. It's what we receive the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. Now we can believe that that Jesus has come in the flesh, that he's died for our sins, that he rose again and he's ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father and that he's coming back. The word of God means to learn the truths of Scripture. And the thing is, that sometimes what happens is that we come to the cross and we receive that imputed righteousness and we might never ever go back to the word of God. We might still be saved, but we might never go back to the word of God and to know what the righteousness of God in this armour is that we're talking about. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts purified from an evil conscience. One of the things that the devil wants to do is to cause us to doubt, to cause us to, to, to feel weighed down by the things that we get ourselves involved in, by the sins that we commit. But the scripture tells us that we are washed clean. We are righteous. And as verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us, that this is a growing thing. Finally, be, be growing strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And it's the same, it's about being, be growing stronger in truth so that you will be growing stronger in righteousness, your right living in accordance with the scripture for which we are ambassadors. The gospel of peace. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So the question I have is how is it that what we wear on our feet, armoury or weaponry? How we stand in battle depends on our stability. If we are not stable, we will not be able to stand our ground, that ground that he asks us to stand. If we're not stable, we will lose ground. We'll not be able to stand or, for that matter, even advance our ground. So, again, 
How do we gain stability or remain in stability? By knowing the gospel, by knowing the good news of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the gospel. This is the gospel of peace. But we can't have peace if we don't know the gospel that saves us. How do we know if we are saved or if we, or if we don't know what the gospel is? How do we know we are saved? And oftentimes I've said to people, how do you know that you are saved? Oh, I know that I know that I know that I am. You know what? That is a really shabby response. It shows no stability. It shows no foundation. It's by knowing the gospel. We need to know the gospel. Our protection against instability is to know the gospel so that you can know what it is that you believe and stand firm in it. And that will bring us peace. That will bring us peace. But I don't think the verse is just talking about stability. I think in this verse there's this sense of movement. There's this sense of advancement and action. Shoes fitted with readiness, with preparation. And if you're prepared it's because you're about to move into something. It's about knowing the gospel so that we can live the gospel and preach the gospel, which is peace to those who receive it. When we find ourselves living and speaking the gospel, it will bring peace to our souls because that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to preach the gospel and when we find ourselves doing the things that God has asked us to do, we will have peace. The shield of faith. One thing the Bible is very, very clear about is that if you are a Christian, you will face challenges. And I spoke about that last week. James talks about trials of diverse kinds. Jesus said, when persecution comes. Paul demonstrated over and over again by the affliction to his body that if you walk in faith, you may receive severe oppression. Yet the strangest thing is, even with these warnings, the strangest thing is that so often when we find ourselves in trouble as Christians, when we find ourselves being oppressed by the devil or whatever it is, it takes us by surprise. It's like, what? Why is this happening? It's happening because you're a Christian. It's like it's unexpected. Because of that, we're seemingly caught off guard and so often what can happen then is that we can stumble and sometimes in our stumbling, we can fall. We can fall into disillusionment and defeat. That's what the devil wants, but that's not what Christ wants. This is not the Christian life. 1 Peter 4, 12-14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent. That's a hard thing to ask, isn't it? Then in battle we are to rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If we know the word of God, the truth of God's word, we will 
know the promises of God. The promises of God build up our faith when trials come. The promises of God beckon us as as soldiers to stand firm in the face of, of opposition. John 16.33 These things I have spoken to you. In my word I have declared them to you that in me you may have peace if you abide in my word. In the word you will have in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans 5 uh, verses 3 to 5 More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out (coughs) into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we look into the word of God, we see the promises of God It's in passages filled with these promises that we can find ourselves firmly rooted in our hearts and in our minds about who we are in Christ. And this strengthens our faith. It strengthens that shield from the onslaught of the fiery darts that the devil incessantly fires towards us. The helmet of salvation Um, Yes, the helmet of salvation. Salvation. One of the things that we must understand is that this battle, that isn't in this battle, it is not a power struggle. It's not a power struggle. When we stand in this battle, it's a struggle for truth. That's what it comes down to. It's a struggle for truth. It's a battle for our minds. It's a battle for what it is that we believe. And if the devil can cause us to believe just the tiniest of lies, he's had a victory. If he can sow the smallest seed of doubt into our hearts, am I truly saved? Then we have given up our hope to him. When we talk about salvation, it's inseparable from hope. They go hand in hand. If he can cause you to doubt your salvation, hope vanishes. Hope is like the breath in our lungs. It's like the motivation to press on and it gives us endurance to stand. Our assurance of salvation is so important to us. So many of us as Christians, we hear it in the language that we use. use. We, we seemingly not sure of that firm stance that we can have in the salvation that God gives us. We need to be assured of our salvation. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. Consider how much the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That's who we are. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, he is going to come back for his own. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope 
purifies himself just as he is pure. We know that when he appears, as that verse says, those of us who have have salvation in his name, we look forward in eager expectation of meeting him face to face. That's my heart's desire. I just want to see Jesus, whether it be that I live this life out and he takes me home or whether it's when he returns that I see him face to face. It's this hope that clears and purifies our mind and our doubts and it fortifies our hearts in the heat of battle. So how can we know the assurance of salvation? This is a good question. But guess what? We find it in the Word. We find that we can have assurance for salvation in the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit seals that in our heart. Here are some very important words that the Bible tells us that I don't have to worry about anymore. These are the truths that the scripture shows us that we are chosen by God. We need to grab hold of these things. We are chosen by God. We are elected. Ephesians 1.5, we are justified. Our sins are paid for, they're dealt with, they're removed. So when these sins that, that revisit us keep coming into our mind, we, know, we need to know, we need to be able to stand on and say, no, at the cross my sins were removed. We are regenerated. The old has gone, the new has come, so Second Corinthians tells us. We are reconciled. We were separated from God, but now through faith in God, our sins being taken away, we are in right relationship. We are reconciled to our Heavenly Father. We are adopted. We are adopted children of God. Ephesians 1.5 We are being sanctified, made into the image of God's Son. We are glorified. The scripture tells us that right now we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ. Amazing things. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. If you are concerned, Christian, if you are concerned about your salvation, if you are wondering or wrestling or working through whether you are truly saved, the question itself highlights the fact that most likely you are because the world outside is not concerned about such things. Let's have a look at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of all the descriptions of the armour of God, this is the only one that is both defensive and offensive. All the other parts of the armour are defensive but this one is both defensive and offensive. When we wield the sword in the right way, it cuts. And when this sword cuts, it cuts deep. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's pretty deep cutting. 
The scripture tells us that by that faith comes and it is even maintained and even strengthened by the hearing of the word of God. Our faith came by hearing of the word of God and when we wield the sword defensively, we resist the devil. Look what happened when Jesus, who was out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, look what happened when the devil came to him with words that were misconstrued, words that were misinterpreted and he spoke them to Jesus, but Jesus spoke the word of God back to him in truth and in doing so, he resisted the devil and the devil fled from him. And that's what we have to do. When we receive things that we are really not sure about, we need to respond with the truth of the word of God. We need to wield the sword of the spirit, the word of God, in truth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This word of God is also offensive. It is the wielding of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the preaching of the gospel is by is gospel which others get to hear when we preach it is good news. And Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And this is the thing. There is never a time not to preach the word of God. There is never a season that is right or wrong. We are to preach the word of God. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So what we'll have recognised as we begin going through all of those things, all of those parts of the spiritual armour that we've learned about is that it all comes through the word of God. We are learned that we are strengthened, we are refined and that we can apply what we've learned by the word of God. By appropriating the word of God, by activating the word of God in our lives. Now what happens is that so many times when I've heard teaching about the armour of God, it seems to end there those six components of the armour of God. But as I was reading this passage again and again, trying to, to, to work through it, I couldn't escape the fact, to me at least, that prayer is part of that armour, the seventh component. Our fighting, when it comes to spiritual battle, is done on our knees. James 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone among you sick or feeling oppressed or feeling downcast or feeling doubtful or unsure of your salvation or you feel like you're losing ground or you feel like you're being deceived or you feel like you're being discouraged? Then pray. Then pray. James says, and the prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well, the oppressed person strong, the discouraged person encouraged, the deceived person know the truth. Ephesians 6.18 And pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert. 
and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The thing about it is when we look at this armour, we can't just think about putting on one component. It's a full armour. Armour is only real armoury when it's all applied. The other thing that we'll notice as we look through all of those things is they all overlap and they all have this component of the need for the word of God and prayer. We must put on all the armour so that when the fiery darts of the devil come to us, we'll see them for what they are. When we see untruth, we will know it for what it is. But again, I think one of the things that we can see is that when we say to clothe ourselves with the armour of God, what we're actually saying is to put on Christ. That's what we're saying, to put on Christ. Clothe yourselves in Christ, therefore. In Romans 13, 13 to 14, it says, Let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The devil comes at us with constant new tactics. He's trying to find cracks in our armour. But if we find ourselves in the word of God, that immutable, unchanging, timeless, ever firm word of God, we know that we can stand. We know that we can stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this whole book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians. Thank you, Father, for your holy word. Thank you, Father, for the incredible teachings within this. Lord, we thank you that you've called us not to be wimpy, but to be warriors. We thank you, Father, that you've not caused us to be defeated in this life, but to be defenders of the word. We thank you, Father, that you are in the process, the ever-growing process of transforming us into the likeness of your Son, that we might clothe ourselves in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you, Cheryl.